There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Don Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Helena Murphy, managing partner of Raising Partners. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So, gentlemen, the awful events in Ukraine are having a huge impact across the world. From a global economic perspective, what do you regard as the biggest threat, Tom? Oh, goodness me, I'm struggling to be positive in this this morning, um, Donald. Um, I think just from uh, what's the biggest threat is you have a dictator with his finger on a nuclear button and he doesn't seem that he's too shy about using it or threatening to use it. And um, I actually can't believe the pictures and the news I watch the news and I just see, you know, families getting separated. They, they're now saying there's, there's two million people, Willie, have had to leave their own country. I mean, that's almost half the population of Scotland. Families separated. Every story is a heartbreak. I, I think there is a special place in hell for Putin, to be honest with you. So this is serious stuff. Willie, I'm, I'm struggling yeah. to be positive. No, it's kind of difficult. Obviously, the you know before we talk about business, the the human tragedy of Ukraine is is immeasurable, and you know it looks as if it's going to get worse and worse. I just hope at the moment that that everyone in NATO and or the European Union and the UK, I hope that we're all piling in big time to help the people in Poland who just seem to have opened their gates to help in a way that no one else seems to have done. So I just hope that um, that we are doing that. Obviously. The UK has had a bit of stick, you know, for the whole visa situation. I think, to be fair, I think every position that Pretty Patel's had, there's been a problem. Um, so for me, as, as Tom says, it is very difficult at the moment to be optimistic about anything. The ramifications for the war in Ukraine at the moment are, are horrendous. And, you know, what this could do to people here in the UK, you know, in relation to putting people below the poverty line is, is, is frightening. So, I mean, the, the economic picture, Donald, is is pretty scary as well. Um, Russia's the third lar- largest producer of oil in the world after the US and Saudi. And um, petrol's just hit 160 a litre. Um, it might be a bit more in different places. Um, Russia is supplying the, the EU 40% of their gas. You know, Germany's 42% of their gas comes from Russia. Now, luckily, whether by design or someone clever, only 5% of the UK's gas comes from Russia. Gas prices are up 142% since the beginning of the year. So 
what's the alternative? Because the US has now said no more from Russia, but they saw energy as a national security issue a long time ago. And through the fracking, the shale gas, etc., they've been able to become self-sufficient, Willie, which now looks clever. I don't think Britain, you know, we just don't have the geography for the fracking on the scale of America, but we may need to start getting gas from this fracking there. It's quite hard to, to change your energy overnight. You know, there is talk and something I was reading in the Herald where our First Minister was saying the North Sea isn't the answer. It's, you know, bringing on new fields takes a long time to do, but there are some short-term things we can do in the North Sea. I'm not the expert on it, but the energy prices, energy now is a national security issue, Willie. It's not just an economic security thing. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, and, and I would urge the government, especially, you know, the <coughs> to Kate Forbes to say, at the moment, could you consider putting the 10-year strategy, the economic growth strategy on hold and completely focus on how we could be self-sustainable, you know, try and put a team together that could help us in relation to how we could generate all of our own power. Now, I believe that Scottish Power and SEC, I think we've said this in the past, tell us at the moment that all the utility that they supply in Scotland all comes from renewable. That's, that's a big tick in the box. Right, so let's you know, let's see what we can do. I know there's a lot of talk about nationalising. Um, you know, in the past, this has not worked. You know, they all end up run, running as loss-making businesses. But I would certainly say at the moment is that Tom said we're not talking about energy here. We're talking about security. Right, and I think that we should get some clever people in a room and try and see how we could lead a path over the next couple of years, as soon as we can, to be self-sufficient in relation to our energy needs. Is the 10-year economic strategy not vital when we're going to see a lot of businesses go under to create that new band of entrepreneurs? It's, it's more vital than ever. You know, as each day goes past now in the, in the last month, it's been more negative. You no, know, Tom started off by saying it's hard to be optimistic. I think that the only way that we can dress this up, and really that's what we're doing, right, is to say, okay, let's look about what we can, what can be spawned out of this this tragedy that we have at the moment in Ukraine, what can we do? There's got to be businesses that we can, you know, Phoenix from the ashes here, let's see what we can do in relation to new startups that could help us with being sustainable. Yeah, I I think it's, if you want to look, we all know the threats and is there an opportunity in all, all of this? It's hard to see, but one of the things, I was, I was just reading that between Russia and the Ukraine, Willie, they supply a third of the world with wheat, yep. which I, I never knew anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then you think, okay, so what does that mean? And then I was um, I was reading about the guy who's the chicken king, Boparin, yeah. the two sisters group, and he was saying that um, to feed his chickens, 60% of the chicken's foodstuff is wheat. So then you just begin to see the interconnection through the world yeah. of what it is. So then you think, right, food security. So can Britain, should it depend on these countries or should we invest in our farmers yeah. so that they are growing, so that we are 
dependent on no one. Now, is that isolationist or is that an opportunity? I, I don't know. Willie. It's interesting you bring that up. At the height of the Cold War, it was the threat of the banning of wheat exports from the region that you're talking about that brought the Cold War in. Oh, end. was it? Right. Yeah, because way back then they depended so much the way that today they're doing oil and gas. But back then it was one of the biggest levers that the UK and especially the States, which was taking billions of it, so they threatened not to buy any more wheat off them oh, back wow. in the day. So it's hard to find the positives in all this. And, you know, if you're a business right now in Scotland, what what you face with, well, obviously your energy costs have gone through the roof from yeah. petrol to your heating yes. of your factories to your energy use. So is there anything you can do about that? Um, I don't think there's that much you can do about that side of it, Willie. But if 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 I was out there and I was facing these things, I would be saying, right, let's get the, my people in the one room and let's hear all the ideas and let's we we will get through it, but we'll get through it together. So what can we do? But yeah. there's no doubt, and Willie, through default, has won the inflation prize again. Because inflation now, I mean, I was reading some figures from the US. So just over the past year in the US, the petrol's gone up 38%, gas 23%, food 9%. You know, where does this end? It it, it will end, which is the good news. Um, I can't tell you when, because I don't, I don't quite know how this finishes, Willie. Mm. But um, for the businesses out there... Get your people together, get a thinking cap on, be positive about it because you will get through it. But the person who's going to pay the most is the consumer because businesses can't absorb these yeah. sorts of hikes, will they? Tom, the thing that is that has really amazed me, we, we had a wee go at Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England a few weeks ago when I've been saying for months and months and months it's going to be more than double what he's saying. Today, in the numbers that you talk about, 7.9% in America is double what the Treasury in America yeah. forecasted. I don't know how. They can't have their ear to the ground. Right? I've not got a crystal ball. I'm putting all the things together that people are telling me that what's happening in reality. And the one thing I can tell you, at the moment that we are talking about oil and gas, you have no idea about what this is doing in the moment to the supply chain. The amount of things that are produced. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in Germany if they cut the gas. I mean, you won't be able to get a spare part for any for love their money. So I think, uh, you know, there is there is a huge bit of work to be done at the moment. I'd love to hear of that. We've got a lot of clever people in a room working out what we're going to do. What, you know, what is happening at the moment? Tom keeps using this phrase, right? But we're actually at the moment in order to survive, we're actually going to have to take take a step back from the digital age back to the analogue age. That's what's <laughs> happening in the moment with cars. You you can, if you've got a car in order just now, I know a story about someone last week getting a Mini and he said, oh, we can't get it because of the electronics but we can give you it with the old um, analogue, say fine. <laughs> but by the way, and if you don't want it, somebody else wants to buy it. Aye. Right, that's what we're dealing with here. You can't get boilers. Anywhere in Britain at the moment, central heating, you cannot get a boiler for love their money. But I think, well, I, normally with inflation, the blunt instrument is interest rates to try yes. and do that. That's not going to work here. Yes. Because this is inflation born out of something else. Right. And if if they just used interest rates as mm -hmm. this, it, all it's going to do is fuel the inflation. So the, the economists yeah. are scratching their head just now. Yeah, but, but Tom, I think... 
no one should be should be kidded that this is all because of Ukraine. Right? We were talking about this before Ukraine. This a lot of this had to do with Brexit. A lot of this had to do with Brexit, and a lot of it had to do with the whole US China thing with the with the you know the chips and and the PCB boards. So Ukraine's certainly situation has not helped it, but this was coming. You both were mentioning it way back and many many shows ago, and saying that we needed to become self sustainable. But can we really do that quickly enough? I, I don't think we can, but at least we have to make an attempt. We even if it's a long term plan, right? And we've got a lot of. Trust me, the pain for this is going to affect everyone. Everyone. And unfortunately, it's going to hit a lot of the people who really need a bit of help and it's going to hit them worse than everybody else. So people who are near the poverty line, especially with the fuel. I mean, people are saying at the moment, the government, you know, we're going to give a 200, you know, 200 pound allowance. My bill's going to be up a thousand pound, two thousand pound. How is that going to help at all? How, how do you balance as a business Decisions about increasing prices, because your own costs have gone up, um, but increasing for your customers or cutting costs that might impact on quality. Because I think a lot of businesses might have to say, well, we can just, around the edges, let's yeah. just reduce that so we don't put the prices up. I, I think How do you get it, that balance? I think especially with food, you can't do that. Right, so I watched a, a guy last night, Creed Deliveries, they, they deliver food all over the UK, and the, the lad was talking about his uh, increase in his diesel and his petrol. And he says, I'm, I'm really, really sorry, but we have to pass all of this on to the consumer. As Tom says, everything ends up with the consumer, hurting the consumer. And I think that we're going to see prices that we've never seen, right, for food. We, we couldn't imagine. Where could you ever imagine that things would go up by 30%? No, right, and it's frightening. There's things happen you wouldn't believe. I think to, to try and be positive, if you've got a good business, you're going to get through it. And you're going to get through it because you understand your customer's needs and hopefully your customer understands that some of these things are got to be passed on because if you're running an efficient business, it's hard to find more efficiencies. You get to a point where you're actually going backwards. Um, but there will be ways through it. But I would say to Rishi Sunak just now, cancel the NI for employers and employees cancel it now because that's another drain coming out of the disposable income um, and the UK consumer right now has got faced with one of the biggest challenges certainly in my lifetime Molly yeah. you're older than me so maybe yeah, about, about three and a half weeks or something. <laughs> right? But I certainly don't look at it. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, you know, I agree totally with what Tom says, but if we thought that the pandemic was a crisis and we could print billions and billions of pounds to help, trust me, the government are going to have to step up to the plate here Right, because people will be getting their electricity cut off, their gas cut off. The first thing they should do is make a rule that you can't do that. We can't do that. We must give people time to get through this and hope it levels out and the prices go back down again. But unfortunately, you know, history tells you when prices go up, it's hard to get them to go back down again. Indeed. Now, one person making the news, well, he always makes the news, Nigel Farage, but he's won a referendum on Boris's net zero policy saying it's madness given the financial impact in the current crisis. I mean, the the numbers are absolutely scary. Independent Office for Budget Responsibility says making buildings carbon neutral is 400 billion. Electric cars, 330 billion. 
cleaning up power generation, 500 billion, and for business, 46 billion. And when you do all this, um, the net, it works out, it will still cost the Treasury 400 billion. So is this the right time to be pursuing net zero, Tom? Well, this is one of these things. I, I still believe that we should be pursuing net zero because I think the planet depends on it. Um, but there'll be bumps along the road. You know, in any 20, 30, 40-year plan, um, there'll be things come along and you say, right, okay, um, temporary, we've got to halt that, we've got to do this, but let's not let's not kid ourselves. You know, climate change is real, our planet depends on it, we need this bold plan, but within any, any plan in business, there's always going to be things that you'd alter along the way. I mean, you don't just set a 10-year or a 40-year plan and never change it. That's what the communists used to do. Yeah. I would say probably it's taken us 2,020 years to get the planet in the state it's in today. Let's have a 50 to a 100-year plan to get it back to carbon neutral. I think the problem we've got at the moment is is the pace that people want to move at. And I don't think everyone would love to get to net zero ASAP, but I think we have to have a realistic plan as to the cost of that. Well, one of the things about net zero, you touched on fracking earlier there, Tom, but we're just days away from pouring cement into the holes to prevent uh, or to shore up the gas wells in the UK. Is that the right decision at this moment? You know? Yeah, well, well I mean, the the US um, are fortunate. I mean, it's a huge country in terms of landmass. And over in West Texas, they have got this naturally occurring shale gas where they can extract it. And it's huge. I've, I've actually visited there. And it is an amazing thing to see and the entrepreneurs, Willie, who came up with a way of extracting this from the ground. It's really a piece of genius. And the US went on there because they were worried not about Russia. They were worried about Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. And they became um, net exporters of gas, Donald, whereas they used to import a hell of a lot. Now, that is clever. Now... What can we do in the UK? I, I am, I am not against fracking in the UK, but let's be honest about it. We just don't have the topography to get the the similar amounts of gas, shale, or whatever from there. But we, everything should be on the table here. And as Willie said, I would like to see from a Scottish point of view, get Ian Wood in charge of. What do we do short term? What do we do medium term? What do we do long term? Put somebody in charge who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I think where the states have a big, big benefit here, and, and places like Russia, that they have so much vast barren land where nobody can fracking is not a problem. I mean, I believe our first attempt at fracking down south, I think the Blackpool Towers lean at the one side, <laughs> yeah. you know. The Tower of Blackpool. <laughs> so mm. I think that that's, that's a luxury that we don't have. But I certainly think that the in Scotland the 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 vast amounts of land that we have for forestry, there must be something that we can do more and more to help with this situation than we're doing at the moment. You mentioned uh, petrol prices, and we're now paying seven pound a gallon in some some areas. Should we cut fuel duty to protect businesses and also our high streets? Because if people are 
not travelling as much. They're, they'll be encouraged to work from home to save money, and that has an impact. Well, remember, government doesn't have money, Donald. They get it through taxation yeah. of people like you and me and Willie and businesses, and they decide how it's spent. So I'm asking for them to not bring in the NI in- increase, but they've still got to fund the NHS, we've still the huge backlogs, etc. So there needs to become a point. I mean, I would hate to be the Chancellor right now trying to balance all this. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, he he wants to be seen as a tax cutting chancellor. He's actually put up taxes more than any Tory chancellor in history. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think you know I agree with Tom that we need, the government have to look at everything at the moment how they can help. Hopefully, it will be in the short term. Hopefully, it will be in the short term. Well, coming up after the break, we'll have positivity because we'll be talking to Helena Murphy, managing partner of Raising Partners. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode of the show, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we turn the guest spotlight on Helena Murphy, founder and managing partner of Raising Partners. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we chat to Helena, in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Alexander Fleming. Alexander Fleming was a Scottish physician and microbiologist whose discovery of penicillin in 1928 has been described as the single greatest victory ever achieved over disease. Born on the 6th of August 1881, Fleming was the seventh of eight children of an Ayrshire Hill farmer. He began his education at Loudonmoor School before enrolling in Kilmarnock Academy with a two-year scholarship. In 1894, he moved to London to live with his older brother Thomas, where he attended the Royal Polytechnic Institution. After working as a London shipping clerk, Fleming began his medical studies at St Mary's Hospital Medical School in Paddington in 1901, partly funded by the money inherited from an uncle. He would go on to win the 1908 gold medal as top medical student at the University of London. Having planned to become a surgeon, Fleming became convinced that his future lay in the new field of bacteriology, and he spent the next few years in private practice as a venerologist. With the outbreak of the First World War, he served in the Royal Army Medical Corps and worked in battlefield hospitals on the Western Front before returning to St Mary's Hospital in 1918. In November 1921, Fleming made his first great discovery, lysozyme, an enzyme present in bodily fluids such as saliva and tears, which has a mild antiseptic effect. His study of this enzyme was a significant contribution to the understanding of how the body fights infection. But it was in 1928 that he made his greatest discovery, 
Returning from a family holiday, Fleming noticed a fungus growing on a culture plate, which he'd left on a bench in his laboratory. The bacteria immediately surrounding the fungus had been destroyed, whereas other bacteria further away were normal. This was the basis for his discovery of penicillin, an antibiotic capable of killing many of the common bacteria that infect humans. Fleming's work on in wound infection and lysozyme guaranteed him a place in the history of bacteriology. But it was the discovery of penicillin, which has saved and is still saving millions of people around the world, that sealed his lasting reputation. Although modest about his role in the development of penicillin, Fleming was all too aware of the significance of his achievement. As he himself said, When I woke up just after dawn on September 28, 1928, I certainly didn't plan to revolutionize all medicine by discovering the world's first antibiotic or bacteria killer. But I suppose that is exactly what I did. A fantastic story and uh, remember being told about it in schools. Uh, so right back in primary school and penicillin. And of course, medical science in Scotland, you know, we're leading the world in many ways. Unbelievable. What a story. And the impact that one Scot has had throughout the world. And, you know, nearly a hundred years later, people are still talking about him and his amazing contribution. So we're looking for positivity in this Sunday morning. Yeah. So the great Scot for me is brilliant. Son of an Ayrshire farmer. Changes the world. Yep. I love that headline. That should be in the Herald every day. Yeah. What a story. All the best things seem to come out of Ayrshire, is that right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would agree with that, Daryl. And talking of Scottish success stories, welcome to the show, Helena. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you um, because it's quite a journey you've been on. So please tell us um, your successes and, may I say, the failure that probably sparked everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll start I'll start at the beginning. So I started my first kind of side business when I was 16. And I'm sh I'm pretty sure there's quite a derogatory word for what I used to do, but basically I used to go down the High Street or down Buchanan Street and buy things from H&M, All Saints, Topshop, any brand that we had in the UK that wasn't yet sold in the US or China because e-commerce hadn't really taken off yet. They weren't really buying, we weren't kind of, didn't have a kind of international export market for those for those brands. I was buying them at retail price and then marking them up and selling them to people in the US and China who wanted to have I Top Shop or H&M yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. That's how I paid for myself to go to the dancing on a Saturday night and do whatever it is I wanted to do. I was making decent money from it. It paid for me to go to university. I was like, this is great, off we go. I did a, a master's at the University of St Andrews in sustainable development and I quickly learned the er error of my ways in terms of really I was selling kind of fas fast fashion products. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to um, take this eBay business that I've got and I'm going to build my e-commerce website because that can't be too difficult. And I'll just start <laughs> selling sustainable brands to people. And this was kind of in the mid to early 2000s. So sustainability as a general agenda wasn't really on the scene. People, I was a wee bit before my time. And I still had some initial early success. And I went to a, a networking dinner. I sat next to someone. I told them what I did. Oh, this, uh, this is a great idea, you know. You seem to have been doing pretty well. And I raised angel money so quickly. I pitched on the Friday. By the following Friday, I had money in my bank and I had £100,000. And I was like, wow. this is amazing. Like, off we go to the races. Someone's given me a hundred grand. That's amazing. Now, as we all know, it sounds good, doesn't it? But a <laughs> hundred grand doesn't last you very long when you're running an e-commerce business. 
And I was 22 and so naive and I just burnt through that cash like there was no tomorrow. Wasn't really keeping an eye on my numbers at all. And I kind of, I did the classic thing that I think a lot of people who are not like traditional finance people do where they're like, oh, I'm going to leave that to the accountants and all spreadsheets, financial modeling, that kind of thing. And I just totally took my eye off the ball, didn't keep an eye on the numbers, um, spent all my money and was like, oh, I've got about six weeks of runway left here. I better go and raise some more cash. So I went back to my angel investors thinking, you're rich. You're obviously just going to give me more money. Uh, doesn't work like that, does it? So no. went back to the, no, no, it doesn't. Uh, I was like, and they looked at things and they're like, you've got about six weeks and you need about a million pounds. Like, no, like we're not <laughs> no. giving, no, no, we're not giving you that money. Um, and that was the biggest eye-opening experience for me. I was like, oh my, I was devastated because I had some reasonably early success. So my friends and family were kind of like, oh, this is amazing. Like you've done so well. This is so great. I'd had all this proverbial smoke blown up behind me and I was thought I was all that. And when I came like literally crashing back down to earth when someone had told me like, this is horrendous. Like, <laughs> you've not looked at your numbers. You've not kept control of your cash or your stock. This is really bad. Um, and I was like, this is entirely my fault because I de I basically delegated all of this financial responsibility to all these other people, assuming that they were going to take care of that for me. You cannot delegate cash flow. No. You cannot. So I learned that lesson at 22. <laughs> and it was it was really stressful because I was upset about what I'd done to this business because it was, it did feel like my child that I'd like really neglected and I felt awful about it. And I felt awful about the decisions I'd made. I was employing people at the time because I was buying sustainable brands at this point. My supply chain were like brands and businesses in, in India and Thailand and, and China who were employing women and children to make things where I was like, oh my gosh, I owe these people all this money and like, what have I done? What am I going to do? And I I took some really bad advice from some people who didn't know what they were doing. But ultimately, the, the failure of my business didn't come from their bad advice. It came from the fact that I just didn't keep an eye on the cash or the money at all. It's and, very honest of you. It's very honest. Thank you. And it was it was a really harsh lesson to learn and it was so stressful um, I decided to take out £100,000 of personal debt to pay off my investors, which I didn't need to do because, I, you know, they they knew that their capital was at risk and all that. But I knew that the fault of this failure was solely mine. So I took out the money. I, I put it on a variety of credit cards. Ooh. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know anything about interest rates either. Um, so, <laughs> or like how APR worked. Anyway, oops. Uh Sorry, mum. And <laughs> I took I took out all this personal debt. I paid them and I paid off my suppliers, the people I committed to pay for stock from. I still have some of it in my flat now if anyone wants to buy any stock from me. I've still got some. Uh, well, he's always looking for a bit of fashion advice. 11 or 12 years later we are now. So, That'll be fine um, for Willie. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it was, it was awful. I lost my hair from stress-related alopecia. Um, I was crying on my mum's kitchen floor like mum what have I done this is horrible and I spent 18 months of really reflectively looking and it was it was painful to do to look at everything that you've done wrong and be like that was your fault that was your fault that was your fault shouldn't have done that shouldn't have done that and yeah I, I spent a long time learning about all the mistakes I'd made I, I spoke to a lot a lot of people about it much smarter than I am 
And they were like, yeah, that wasn't great. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, maybe you should have done this or thought about this or really open my eyes to fundamentally how financing works in a small business, which, or even in a growth business, as we all know, ca- cash is king. If, you're, if you've not financed your business correctly, you, like it does matter. You can have the best thing in the world, but you're screwed. You've not got anything there if you've not got the money. And I, I spoke to investors, I spoke to solicitors, I met another couple of angel investors and they're like, you know what, your story is actually quite scary. But I can see that similar thing happening to a couple of other people that I know. Do you mind if I introduce you? And and uh, you can just go in and just scare them with your story because then they'll look at their money because, you know, you've got no hair and it looks it's pretty bad. So <laughs> can, can, we, can we just tell the listeners this morning you're sitting with a lovely mop of hair here, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because my hair's back. all in the past. My hair's back. You're not too the scared of this morning. experience is gone. <laughs> um, so, and, and I was like, yeah, 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 no problem. And I was kind of going around and I was speaking to as many people as possible. I was speaking to investors, but I was also speaking to my peers, other founders, other entrepreneurs that I knew. And I could see other people making similar mistakes to what I was doing because everyone was so focused on the product and the business and the sales and the PR and the marketing. And I was like, none of us are looking at the cash. None of you are looking at the money or the financing or the investment. You've not really thought about this. I think we should all sit down and look at how money works. And as a result of that, I had a couple... The, the couple of investors I mentioned, when I went in and I told my scary story, they were like, you know what? I think you should go in and help the, those founders to raise some money internally because you've made a bunch of mistakes, but you're never going to make those mistakes again. So at least you're not going to be doing the same, hopefully you're not going to be doing the same thing twice. Give them some bandwidth, introduce them to some people that you've met, help them with things like the positioning, the financial modeling, the investor deck, and see if you can just provide them with the bandwidth that they can keep growing the business and they, they know they've got someone in-house that's accountable for ra- helping them to raise the money because they're paying for you to be there, so they're going to start f- fundraising. I went into an e-commerce company. I helped them to to raise, I think, about £500,000 just from some angels that I'd met along the way touting t- around my horrible story. Um, and then we did one of the first equity crowd funds in the UK on Cedars, and then I moved to another company, another e-commerce brand, and... I ran another very successful kind of pre-series A raise, um, raising £700,000 again from people I knew, other angel investors. And it was a case of right place, right time that I was able to operationally go in and help founders to fundraise and that happened to know some people that would be interested in what they were doing. And Raising Partners, the business that we have today, really is, is an extension of that work that I did when I went in to help people to fundraise and it's the best the business that I wish had existed for me when I was first raising money because it's so very specific in early stage investment it's a growing market and a moving market all the time um working with angels working with crowdfunding platforms working with early stage VC that if you've never raised money before like I hadn't why should you be expected to know all of these intricacies of well actually well an angel syndicate only meets every three months and actually you need to have the timing right. And this is how long a legal process is going to take you to complete. And if you're busy running your business in the day-to-day and burning through your cash and leaving yourself six weeks to raise money, but hopefully we can come in and help you realize, you know, kind of what the gaps are in, in your knowledge and provide direct support. So, Willie, this is a perfect example of what you say about learning from failure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I actually love the story. I know it's a... It's a difficult story to tell, but 
you're being very honest and you've actually you're you actually know right that was my fault there's a lot of entrepreneurs that I come across who will say oh well that was if only they had did this and I say no no it's down to you and you're just telling that story as it is this morning it's it's a hard it's a hard lesson to take but I mean if you if you learn from your mistakes then they're as long as they're not terminal, and thank goodness yeah. they weren't, then you actually become a better entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And listen, I've I've made all the mistakes as well, so uh-huh. um, there's no doubt about that. Morning, Helena. I uh, I was actually when I was listening to your story, I thought you were a plant. I thought Tom had brought you along here this morning. Because <laughs> you know, this is what Tom goes on about every week, and he and he's right. Um, and I should say to, to the listeners as well is that I'd love to meet the guy that came up with the title for early investors and called them angels yeah right that's the biggest uh, you know oxymoron you've ever heard they're nothing like angels angels right? with dirty faces uh, exactly um, so I, I think this is an amazing story obviously you've you've turned you know a problem into a business yeah you know and, and you've learned the hard way obviously and uh, it's, it's brilliant when you were telling your story I could just see you going around colleges and talking to all these new business schools saying don't do this and you, but you know uh, I think that uh, well done to you for seeing that appreciating that and especially it'd be dead easy for everyone you went through to say you know what I'm just going to get a job right yeah. I'm going to go back you know use my degree I'm going to do what I'm going to do so it's 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 fantastic. Thank and you. can you tell us, like you know, today, how how do people how do people know how to get in touch with you if they're looking for raise funds? Pretty much all of our business, actually, it's maybe tipped a little bit in the last two or three years, but still, eighty five percent of our business comes through referrals. Whether that's from investors we've worked with in the past that have had someone pitch them and they're like, "You are not ready for any investment, or you're not ready to pitch me." Go and speak to raising partners; they'll help you. Or it comes from our from our previous clients, from people who go to them and say, well, I saw in TechCrunch that you'd raised three million pounds. How did you do that? And they're like, oh, well, we actually got help to do it. Um, And that's how most of our business comes to us now. And how has your business grown? How many people are in the business? We're a full-time team of eight now, all working on delivery. So we all work full-time working with businesses on raising early stage finance, anywhere from the first £150,000 all the way up to a kind of Series B, about £10 million size Um, and we usually work with people for about four to six months very hands-on we speak to all of our clients every day we really are an extension of their team because I think that's what you need at this stage you need hand-holding you need the bandwidth and the and the support of fundraising and you need people who are on the ground raising money all the time because it changes you know what we were doing six months ago is not what we're doing now you know we have new players come into the market you have new investment funds start up and we're at the coal face of raising money all the time. And uh, Sorry, are you at the heart of doing the due diligence to see if people are, you know, uh, fit for investors to invest in? Yeah. So, uh, so you will sway maybe the decision-making of investors? I don't know if I'm FCA allowed to talk about that. <laughs> but, um, well, okay yeah, then. in principle... So, okay we would... then. so your report, <laughs> yes. if your report is positive... Yes. <laughs> yeah, and actually the number one question we get from investors in our network, because we also now run an angel syndicate... Um, of people who rely on us for for um, deal flow and and also for we invest in businesses making a significant impact on people, processes, and the planet. So that's where my degree comes into into play. But the number one question we get from our angels, both in our syndicate or other investors that we know, is what is this t- team like to work with? 
what are the founders like? Because I think that tells you a lot, right, about what the investment's going to be like and how yeah. how it's going to pan out for you over time. And yeah. that's the question that I get people calling me, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in this business and I can see where it's going, the market's growing, all of that good stuff. But what they like to work with, do they pay you guys on time is, yeah. is an, the second question I get asked. And if I was to give you £250,000 of your own money and you could spend that on a holiday, a new house, a car, or whatever for your family, or you could invest in this business, are you investing or are you buying a car? Wow. Yeah. And those are the three questions we get asked I think the big mistake you made is you told us earlier when you got the 100 grand, you were off to the races. That was not a good idea. (laughs) No, no, I know. Hopefully it wasn't their races. (laughs) (laughs) So so let me ask you, although you you said that you get most of your stuff from referrals, and that will be generally from investors who have been approached, uh, do you think there's an avenue for you to go direct and get yourself known among the entrepreneurial Scotland, you know, participants and the Edge Fund and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge opportunity for us and I'm, that's kind of the part we're at now in our business where I feel like for the last five years we've almost been flying under the radar of doing this quiet work, helping all these businesses to raise money and nobody really knows about us that they, they come directly to us and also I think there's a huge opportunity to support with many initiatives, whether that be Scottish Edge or things that Scottish Enterprise are doing, or I've had a few meetings recently with the British Business Bank on how we can really formalise and put proper structure around investor readiness in Scotland. Because there's some bits and pieces of things, but the really detailed, nuanced things of raising money, it's, it's hard to it's hard to teach that in some things, you know, yeah. some articles and some videos on a website. Yeah. You have to be speaking to people on a one-to-one basis. Yep. So I'm going to introduce you to Evelyn, if you don't know her already, at Scottish Head. Yes. Because um, that's what we're what we're doing there. Yep. And um, one of the biggest issues is being investor ready. Yeah. Is, is the company investor ready? Is the investor company ready? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but so for the listeners this morning and, Somebody who's out there thinking, goodness, I'm I'm about to start this. What's the three things they need to know? Oh gosh, do I have to pick just three? Okay. Come on now. Uh, okay, I'll okay. Put you right in the spot. All right. So three things you're if you're thinking about <laughs> if you're thinking about raising money, the absolute first place to start, and this is what I wish I'd done, is start with a financial model and have a firm grasp on your numbers. And it has to be an Excel and it has to be a proper financial model. And if you've not got one, then get one. Invest the time and the money and the resource and whatever you need to have a very, very clear grasp on the cash position and how much money you actually need to raise versus how much money is realistic for your stage of business and the market and whatever might be happening for you to raise at this time. So having a firm grasp on the numbers is, is the absolute first thing. And if you've not got a financial model, a really good one that you also, especially if you're not an accountant that you understand and you feel confident in explaining is just so is so critical. The second is really understanding the market that you operate in and the key levers that are driving growth in that market because I see a lot of businesses come and say, oh, I'm, I'm raising investment and I do this. And I look through the business plan, I'm like, but you don't actually operate in that market, you operate in that market over there. And that's actually either a much slower growing market or it's about to see a massive inflection of growth. Maybe that's because of government regulation is coming in. That means that everyone has got to switch from doing things this way to this way. So a great example of that are businesses that are addressing kind of climate change mandates. Um, and then, And then the third thing is 
it sounds a bit intangible, but being very personally ready and resilient for the absolute roller coaster of raising <laughs> finance because you'll never hear no more in your entire life than yes. the amount of no's you hear when you're <laughs> pitching for money. Yeah. And I think you've got to be really, really mentally ready for that. And I definitely wasn't when I first so raised money. I think that is brilliant advice for our listeners this morning. So what was the turning point for you, Helena? When you look back and you go, oh, that was it. That's, that's when things began to get better. Um, it's funny, I can I can spot when I look over my entrepreneurial journey, I can see so many moments of impact of people that I met or conversations that I had. I think my very, very first one, which comes to your point in, in a second, I promise, my first moment of impact <laughs> was when I actually, I went, I was a scholar with Entrepreneurial Scotland and that gave me the real, I think really changed my view of the entire world of what was possible for me because I was very fortunate I was one of the first scholars in that program I went to America it was completely paid for it was absolutely incredible as a program and it that gave me the confidence to come home graduate from university not get a graduate job and think I'm just going to go into business because if all these other people can do it then I can do it someone's got to do it <laughs> it might as well be me and then I think that really gave me the resilience to look at the horrendous mistakes I'd made and and be able to take a couple of weeks to cry on my mom's kitchen floor and then pick myself up and have the confidence to look at my mistakes and, and learn from them. And then when I was in that really, really dark place of what have I done? This is awful. I had three very, very specific conversations, one around financials of learning about, which really changed, that, that conversation changed my entire life, my entire way I now run Raising Partners as a business and how I help and support people was not feeling as though I needed to be afraid of numbers because I wasn't an accountant or a traditional maths person and I didn't like Excel. And that changed that internal story I was telling myself about money. When was the light bulb moment? When did you when did you wake up and decide, I don't want to be an, you know, an entrepreneur in the field that you were acting yeah. in, that you realised that this was a problem and you wanted to take a complete left turn and obviously help people get fun? Um, actually, I have to give credit to, to Duncan, who's my partner on this, because he was like, you're talking to all these other people and he was like, you actually see that there's, there's a market here. There's so many people that have this problem that you have experienced and are continuing to experience and they're coming to you. I was getting, you know, 40 to 50 people a week being introduced to me about, can you help this person fundraise? Can you tell them your story? Can you? Do? That was the catalyst of, oh, there's a market, there's a business in this. And then the kind of light bulb moment was, I never want anyone to experience what I went through in terms of, like, if I can help any, if I can even just have a 20-minute conversation with someone, which I do regularly, just a very quick chat to be like, okay, you're doing this, speak to these people, do that, have a think about this, have you thought about this, and they get some value from that, then I can turn the light off at the end of the day and be incredibly happy with the work that I've done because I don't want everything we do at Raising Partners, at Raising Partners Angels, at Runway, our educational hub, is please don't make those mistakes that I made. And that was my, that's kind of my driving force of what we do now and, and why we exist. Your advice and insight, I think, is 
quite inspirational. Anybody listening in, I think, yeah. will be looking at their own business very closely. So thank you, Helena. That was an That's, amazing thank story. Thank you. Brilliant. Yes. Brutally honest, but <laughs> inspiration. Done. Yes. Thank you for coming on, Helena. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, after the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. And if you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Providing secure archive storage to your business. Go Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And we're going to our phone lines now to talk to Billy Muir, Director of LBJ Consultants. Welcome to the show, Billy. Hello, thank you. We're delighted to have you on the show. Tell us a wee bit about your business before you ask your question for Tom and Willie. Okay, uh, we are LBJ Consultants. We offer outsourced HR and employment law services to small and medium enterprise companies throughout Scotland. Oh, you'll be busy then, I would imagine. Yes, we're always busy. Too busy, so never complain about that. <laughs> Indeed. So, what's your question then for Tom and Willie? Okay, my question is... Um, how important do you think it is that small to medium businesses have proper HR and employment law advice and support to help them succeed post the pandemic? Excellent question, Tom. Hi, Billy. How are you this morning? I'm um, Great. Well, well, listen, I think it's really important when you're growing um, HR and employment law ad advice is something that sometimes just gets put under the carpet because the busy entrepreneur doesn't quite have time, doesn't quite know the ins and outs. And I think this as an outsource to a small and growing business is a huge benefit. Um, when did you start this, Billy? Well, I've um, been in business in this company since 2016, although my, my previous history, I've been involved in this for over about 30 years now. Right, but okay. Running this company since 2016. Yeah, so I would I would say this is a vital service, and it because these days you know if you get this stuff wrong, it can cost you as entrepreneur thousands of pounds. So um, good on you for um, providing this, Willie. What do you think? Yeah, morning, Billy. Morning. Uh, yeah, I agree with Tom. I says small businesses probably can't afford to have their own HR and their, you know, their own employment lawyer. So I think that this service as an outsource offer is, is vital. And I would encourage every small business, medium or startup, that to, to straight away, the minute that you go to employ anyone, is to make sure that you have that expertise covered. And I think to buy it in when you need it, when you're a small business, is definitely the way to do it. Before you build up and get larger, you have to take people on. I remember back in the day when I took on my very first HR person, uh, and, and now I think there's a whole floor of them, <laughs> right? So, um, but no, no, to answer your question, I think it's absolutely vital that SMEs have that expertise at hand. Just on what you were saying there, unfortunately, we find that when people contact us, it's usually 
too late. Yep. Yes. On board and um, they, they sometimes end up at tribunal, employment tribunal cases. So what, what yep. do you see, Billy, as the biggest issues these businesses face? The, you know, all these lack of understanding um, when they're a small business and they try to soldier on through the issues that can be resolved quite easily if they some proper advice. Billy, can I give you a wee tip? You may already be doing this, so forgive me if you are. Would it not be an idea to approach a lot of the smaller companies? They're always worried about cost. Could you work on a retainer basis? We, we, we do monthly contracts and, and we, we, can, we can cover um, employees for £10 per month yeah. um, per employee. So it, it, it's a risk assessment, it's a risk management, you know, that is it worth spending that amount of pounds? So, I mean, an unfair dismissal claim, the average uh, award that an unfair dismissal claim at the tribunal is £10,000. Wow. Yeah. Right. And uh, the, the normal, the, the average case lasts for three days. So, if you're employing a lawyer to go there for three days plus the, the preparation yeah. time, you're £10,000. Sounds very reasonable, Billy. Is, is, is business good just now? We're doing okay, yeah. We're doing okay. Obviously, we could be doing better, but um, we're doing okay. We, we, we cover, we do loads of women's aid throughout Scotland rape crises we do lots of charities small businesses we're in um, multi-utilities we've got a, a wide range of clients so yeah. we, we, we cover a, a spectrum Billy I, I would just put a wee slant on the, you know, the retainer thing you know see rather than the £10 a month per employees are not somewhere you could give someone an all-inclusive deal for, like, say, there's £2,000 a year or something or whatever, so there's a kind of that, cap that, on it. That, 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 that's absolutely right. That's what we do. I mean, what we do, as we say, it's X, X amount a month, you know. And we, we're very flexible. We we assess what the company's like and how likely there is trouble before we, we come up with prices. It isn't a fixed price. That £10 was sort of... Yeah, the indicator. Yeah. We also offer a service where we with people who've got HR uh, presently where we, we support service for the more complex cases. Yeah. Billy, you talk about resolving cases and sometimes HR seen as that, but in your experience, what are the benefits of good HR? We pride ourselves in working in partnership with our clients and we try to anticipate a problem and, and stop it becoming a problem. That think that's vital. Some of our competitors actually, they do, they, we find that they don't offer the sort of personal touch that we do. We we like to go and visit clients, come like their internal HR, although we are, you know, we're, we're external. But we, we like to see and help company grow. We do lots of stuff with job evaluations and, and salary reviews and things like that as well. Let, let me give you an example of where we work this similar way. We we work with a recruitment company and we've worked with them for nearly 20 years now and they have managed over the years now to feel as if that they're part of the family, that they're part of yeah. our company and I think that that's, and because of that, you know, you've always got a loyalty to them. Um, so I think that model you've said there is will work for you. Well, I hope you go from strength to strength. Yep, good well, luck, you. Billy. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for calling. For Thanks for calling. That's Bye. great. A study this week revealed chips are the most wasted takeaway food. So we've had an email question that says, <laughs> how do you balance between giving too little or too much for the consumer? And, and do you think you could persuade customers to accept less if you're saying it's helping save the planet? 
<laughs> Who wants to answer that one? <laughs> well, we want to get a laugh this morning, Willie. Yeah, I think we've yeah. got it down. Well, if we want to get a laugh, um, what I can tell you about Chips is uh, there's only two places in the world, uh, Las Vegas and Glasgow, where Chips has looked down his currency. <laughs> Oh, dearie, dearie me. Right, come and on, answer the question. I don't recognise this question. I've never yeah. wasted a chip in my life. No, like. no. I clear my plate with my chips. The point was, there's a lot of food waste. <laughs> yes. So could you persuade people that, look, the portion yeah. sizes are smaller yes. because you're likely to leave an extra spud on the side or an extra <laughs> well, Brussels sprout or whatever? I, I, think, I think you could, but I'd, the one place you wouldn't start with this idea is in America where it's eat all you can eat for nine ninety nine. you know? <laughs> so it's going against the grain of all marketing for selling food in the States. But uh, no, to answer it, I think it's a good idea, Donald. <laughs> Aye, that's I. I what he said. <laughs> deary, deary deary me. me. Thankfully, that's all we've got time for. <laughs> don't don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk, and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. The work from anywhere experts. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.